What will it take for the San Francisco Giants to sign Shohei Otani and bring the best player in baseball to San Francisco? Welcome to another edition of the Kerry Crowley Show, talking all things Giants offseason. Earlier this week, we did a big episode on what the Giants' dream offseason would look like if they didn't get Shohei Otani. Talked about Yoshinobu Yamamoto and how he could impact this Giants rotation coming over from Japan, pairing him with Logan Webb, giving you two true aces and what that would mean for the Giants moving forward. We talked about signing Jung-Hoo Lee out of Korea to come play center field and fortify the top of the San Francisco Giants lineup and got a lot of positive responses. Obviously, it was a dream scenario. So there were a lot of people who either didn't listen to that caveat or understand the current state of Giants baseball and the current state of the Giants front office and know that you can't really think about dream scenarios because that has not happened for the Giants in so long. But we're going to do something maybe even more far-fetched today. And I promise you that at some point in the very near future, I will talk about realistic signings for the San Francisco Giants. But what I want to do today is talk about what it would take to sign Shohei Otani and how he would impact the near-term future for the San Francisco Giants. So there are a bunch of contract projections floating out there on the internet right now with regard to Shohei Otani, really with regard to every Major League Baseball free agent right now. It's contract projection season. The Athletics' Tim Britton does a tremendous job. Kylie McDaniel of ESPN does a really good job. Good folks at Fangraphs are all over this. And so MLB Trade Rumors is also covering contract projections. And so what I want to do is kind of look at the different projections for Otani, look at how those might fit into what he's looking for, what the Giants are looking for, and talk about how the mechanics of a deal might get done. Remember, I want to start this episode by saying, no, I do not think that the San Francisco Giants will ultimately sign Shohei Otani. But I do think we have to be prepared for the possibility that the Giants' dreams could come true, that their desire to bring star power to a franchise that is in desperate need of it could happen this offseason. Because we know the Giants will inquire. We know the Giants will do everything they can to at least get a face-to-face meeting with Otani and his free in his agent. And we know that back when Otani was a free agent, coming over from Japan, you know, he didn't have a posting fee at the time. He was scheduled to not make very much money. He entertained the idea of coming to the San Francisco Giants. And I think there are people inside the organization who would tell you that if the designated hitter was in the National League at the time when Otani moved to the United States, that the Giants may have even been the front runner ahead of the Angels to land Shohei Otani. But because he could not DH in San Francisco, because he was going to have to play the outfield, and because he was going to be doing something that had not really been done since the days of Babe Ruth, where you're hitting and pitching, it just wasn't a realistic landing spot. So here we are, November 2023, talking about the San Francisco Giants and maybe a more positive light in the Shohei Otani discussions than we were way back when he came to the United States and was set to transform baseball as we know it by doing things that none of us who've been living for, you know, upward of, <laughs> it doesn't matter how long you've been living for, you haven't seen anything like what Shohei Otani did with the Angels, both being an ace pitcher and a superstar at or near the top of that Angels lineup. 
alongside Mike Trout. So let's dive into these contract projections because I think that they set a really strong foundation for what these discussions with Shohei Otani will look like for the San Francisco Giants and quite frankly, for every other team out there, whether it's the Mariners, the Dodgers, the Mets, the Cubs, the Red Sox, the Yankees, for every team looking at Otani, I think these projections provide a solid foundation, a solid baseline for the types of discussions that he and his agent are going to have this offseason. So MLB Trade Rumors projection was 12 years for $528 million. $528 million would eclipse the record set by Mike Trout of the largest contract in baseball history by more than $100 million. It's owned by Trout right now at 12 years, $426.5 million. And I think that it's quite possible that the Angels may look into trading Trout this offseason. So that contract could be moving from the Angels to elsewhere. But Fangrass has it at 13 years for $527 million. So he would tie the longest contract ever signed in baseball history at 13 years. Bryce Harper and a few others have nailed down 13-year contracts. That would be $527 million. ESPN has a little bit of a different pro uh, projection, and I think that this one's really interesting because it's 10 years for $520 million. So not far off from the 12 for 528 or 13 for 527, but I think that the 10 for 520 is really interesting because you're talking about smashing the average annual value record, which is currently held by Max Scherzer, who on his current three-year $130 million deal with the Mets that was ultimately transferred to the Rangers in that trade, he was making $43.33 million a year, which is a Major League Baseball record. Much like Mike Trout's $426.5 million contract is baseball record, and all these 13-year contracts are baseball records, the $43.3 million average annual value of that contract that Scherzer signed, that is currently the highest average annual value ever. And so 10 years for 520, you do the math, that's $52 million a year. So you are smashing that record if ESPN is close on its contract projection. And then there's one other contract projection from Tim Britton of The Athletic, and this is 12 years for 520. So not all that far off from MLB trade rumors at 12 for 528. Fangraphs 13 for 527, but I actually want to create my own contract projection here, walk you through it and say, this is the very top end of where the Giants or any other team signing Shohei Otani could go. And to me, that's 13 years for $572 million. Now, why is it 13 for 572? Because that would tie the record for the longest contract ever at 13 years. It would give you a new average annual value record. You're talking 13 at $44 million a year. That gets you to about 572 or right in that ballpark. And then you're talking about breaking the all-time record by nearly $150 million that Mike Trout had set with that 12-year $426 million extension that he signed with the Los Angeles Angels. And so 572, I think, is kind of the max right now because I don't see a team going longer than 13 and higher than 572. If you're going to give that average annual value record on a really long-term deal, like 13 years, I don't see it going much higher than the $44 million that would just narrowly eclipse Scherzer's record. And so if we're talking about the high end of where Otani could end up, I think it's that. If we're talking about something that feels a little more realistic to me, I think it's a 14-year contract, and I'll get into this in a moment, at $500 million. And so you're talking about someone who is coming off of his second Tommy John surgery. You're talking about a generational hitter, a generational talent, but someone who's difficult to project on the mound because 
coming back from a second Tommy John surgery is something that pitchers will tell you is very difficult to do. Some pitchers haven't found nearly the same success as they had coming back from that first Tommy John surgery. We're talking about someone who is already doing one of the most difficult things we've ever seen done on a baseball field, which is be an all-star MVP caliber hitter and a Cy Young caliber pitcher because when Otani is on the mound, there are things that he does, suppress batting average, rack up strikeouts, along with the very best in all of baseball. No, his ERA is not in the same ballpark as some of the absolute best, but it's pretty darn close. We're talking about someone who makes the all-star team annually as a pitcher on his own right. And so I think 14 years at 500 million gets you to that $36 million average annual value. So you're setting a length record at 14 years. You're also setting the total contract value record with $500 million. You are not setting the average annual value record. In fact, that would be, I think 14,500 is about $36 million a year or somewhere in that ballpark. And so that's $8 million better for a team that's not looking to set that average annual value record with the $44 million it would take to eclipse Max Scherzer. And so the reason I think that that's palatable is because Otani gets two records in that contract, which is 14 years, and he's going to be turning 30 next year. So we're talking about someone who could potentially be playing to the age of 44 years old. But as a designated hitter, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. As someone who's the caliber of athlete, that I think Otani is. I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. And we're talking about this from a San Francisco Giants perspective, where this was a team that just last winter was prepared to offer Carlos Correa a 13-year, $350 million deal to come be the face of the San Francisco Giants. And there was reporting out there, I think it was Andrew Baggerly of The Athletic, that the Giants had actually looked into the idea of signing a 14 or $15 million contract, or excuse me, 14 or 15-year contract with Correa to bump down that average annual value. And so what that means is you just spread out those payments a little bit more. They were not banking on 43-year-old, 44-year-old Carlos Correa being you know, their signature player at that point in his contract. But what they were trying to do is reduce the average annual value of the contract so that your salary commitment on an annual basis is less, which gives you more flexibility to operate under the competitive balance tax threshold, which Greg Johnson has talked about, Farhan Zaidi has talked about, a lot of owners, a lot of executives throughout baseball talk about the competitive balance tax threshold as kind of a soft cap. Yes, there are certain teams who are willing to go over that CBT mark. The Dodgers have done it, the Mets have done it, hey, even the Giants have done it in the past. But most teams nowadays look at that CBT tax threshold as something that they don't want to cross because the penalties are stiff enough to the point where it's a little more difficult to, in the words of Greg Johnson, break even. And I know that I'm using those words out of context, but when you are paying a tax, it becomes more difficult to break even. So when you spread that money out to Correa, let's say that 350 was going to be over 15 years as opposed to 13 years, you're able to reduce the average annual value of a contract. And ultimately, you're able to spend more money on an annual basis under that CBT threshold. And so if you get Otani, say for 14 years, 500 million, I don't think anyone in the Giants organization is projecting the guy to be the opening day designated hitter in the year 2038. But if you get him at that contract, 
you have to think about it that way because you'll be paying him that year. And no, you don't have to re realistically think, hey, he's still going to be in that position. But you do gain the benefit of reducing your average annual commitment so that then you can go out in the years 2024, 2025, 2026 in free agency, you can add other players under the umbrella of that you know payroll that you have and without exceeding the competitive balance tax threshold. So that's why I like the mechanics of a 14-year, $500 million deal being offered from the San Francisco Giants to Shohei Otani. And look, I do think that Otani is going to dictate a lot of what he wants. If he ultimately decides that San Francisco is his preferred destination, I think the Giants are realistically going to have to play ball with whatever his contract demands are. Now, I'm not saying a 10-year uh, $600 million contract is within the realm of possibility because that's an average annual value of $60 million, which is making it far more difficult to build your roster and reduce your payroll under the competitive balance tax threshold on an annual basis. But let's say he wants the average annual value record. Let's say he wants $44 million per season. The easiest way for the Giants to get there is to give him a $14 million deal. And so 14 at 44, maybe not as realistic. Maybe he wants 13 at 44. That's that 13-year, 572, or ballpark number that, 571, whatever it comes out to from a math perspective. That is, to me, the top end of the deal. Maybe he wants just the total contract record, just to eclipse Mike Trout, and he's willing to say, hey, I'll sign a 10-year deal for $50 million, and that gets you to $500 million. Well, the Giants would be better off spreading that out to 12 or 13 years, whatever Otani is willing to sign. If they're willing to pay $500 million, they're better off saying, we would rather get you on a 12- or 13-year deal than we would on a 10-year deal because that enables us to spread out that contract money. So I think that Otani will ultimately hold the keys to these negotiations with the Giants or whatever team he's discussing this type of a contract with, but it's up to him to determine the records that he wants to break with this contract and up to his agents as well to decide, do we want a 14-year deal that sets a new standard across Major League Baseball? Does $44 million eclipsing Max Scherzer matter to us? And if it does, I think they need to be prepared for teams to say, okay, we want to spread this out over 13 or 14 years. We want a no trade clause. We want no opt-outs in this deal. And I do think that opt-outs are something that the Giants are going to have to navigate in these discussions. Normally, I'm against them. Normally, I'm against a no trade clause. You don't want to give players that. But ultimately, I think that if Otani decides that the San Francisco Giants are his destination, this is an organization that is so desperate for star power, that is so desperate to get this guy in the building and transform the culture of San Francisco Giants baseball that you're going to have to basically appease the guy during these contract discussions. If he wants a no-trade clause or doesn't want a no-trade clause, I think that you're just going to have to cave on that front. If he wants an opt-out after three years, now that's something that I really think could be a sticking point in negotiations. Let's say Otani wants an opt-out because after three years, he figures he'll have tested his arm following Tommy John surgery. He'll know what type of pitcher he is at that point. And so if he wants an opt-out to hit free agency again at, say, 33 years old so that he can again set a new contract record, 
that's going to be a difficult pill for the Giants to swallow. And that's why a team like the Dodgers could go super high on the average annual value right out of the gate, give him that opt-out that he would want after three years, and give Otani the flexibility to, again, see the free agent market and what it would look like once he knows what type of a pitcher he is coming back from this second Tommy John surgery. And so that's where things get a little dicey for the San Francisco Giants. Because if you're the Giants, you want to push back that potential opt-out in the contract as far off as you can. You want to say, okay, if you want an opt-out, we want it four, five, six years into this deal because then we will know what we've had. We will know that you've given us the maximum value that you have for you know the first four, five, six years of that contract. But it's not going to be the opt-out like they've given a Michael Conforto or a Sean Mania or a Ross Stripling, where it's one year in and all of a sudden you're back hitting free agency knowing that you can, again, sign a record-setting contract. One year isn't going to do it for any team. And so if you're Otani and you're his agents and you think about negotiating that next deal once you know what type of pitcher he is again, I think three years is kind of the sweet spot for an opt-out. If you're a team, you want to have Otani in the building for a minimum of five years. If you're committing this type of money to him, if you're committing the resources that you will ultimately commit to making sure that this guy is the perfect fit in perfect condition for you and is absolutely ready to help your roster, I think you want to push that opt-out date back to five years or six years. And ultimately, I don't know if Shohei Otani wants an opt-out. I don't know if Shohei Otani wants a no-trade clause. But these are the type of things that president of baseball operations, ownership groups, are going to have to expect when they enter these contract negotiations because he is an unprecedented player, at least since the days of Babe Ruth. He is a generational talent, and I know that that term gets thrown around widely these days across sports. We've got one in hockey with Connor Bedard playing for the Blackhawks as a rookie. We've got one in the NBA with Victor Wembanyama playing for the San Antonio Spurs. Maybe C.J. Stroud is a generational talent at the quarterback position for the Houston Texans. Again, it seems like there's a new generational talent entering every league on an annual basis, but the one true generational talent in North American sports right now is Shohei Otani, and he will be treated as such in contract discussions. And so the other thing that I think the Giants need to think about as they potentially negotiate this deal with Shohei Otani, and again, this is all hypothetical. Otani could decide right off the bat he's not going to entertain offers from the San Francisco Giants. He could say, I want to stay in the American League. I only want to look at the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Mariners. He could decide that he wants to play on the East Coast and look at the Mets or go to the Midwest and look at the Cubs. We don't know what Otani is thinking right now. We do know that he had a positive interaction with Buster Posey when he was first coming to the United States and the Giants were recruiting him. We do know the Giants felt good about their initial pitch to Shohei Otani back then. We do know that they think that they will be in the discussions for Otani this time around. But the other thing that I think that the Giants need to be thinking about as they negotiate this type of a mammoth contract, or at least potentially negotiate, is you want to follow the models that have been set where a star player isn't earning the maximum value of their contract until the latter half of that contract. And so there was a deal signed a few years ago, an extension between the San Diego Padres and Fernando Tatis Jr. that I think serves as kind of a foundational point for how we have this discussion. Tatis signed, I think at the time, it was like a 10-year, $340 million contract, something in that range. Maybe it was 11 for 341. I don't know what it was. But the bottom line is, the early years of the contract, which Fernando Tatis is still in with the San Diego Padres, he ultimately isn't making that much money. The back half of the contract is where the money that he will make is loaded down. So you're talking about an average annual value. Let's say it was 10 for 340. 
you're talking about an average annual value of $34 million a year. Well, in the year 2022, Tatis made just $5 million. In the year 2023, he made $7 million. Next year, he'll make $11 million. If you go from 2029 to 2034, Fernando Tatis Jr. is going to earn $36 million in each of those seasons. So he makes up for the lost money on the front half of the contract by making significantly more money than his average annual value on the back end of that contract. But to me, this is something the Giants should explore with Shohei Otani because you ultimately want as much financial flexibility right now to build your roster uh, as you can have. And the average annual value calculation is important because that's how your payroll is calculated. You know, you're saying, hey, if his average annual value is $44 million, uh, maybe you're only paying him $25 million this season, but it's still going to be calculated as $44 million because that's the average annual value over the course of the contract. So that's what it looks like according to the CBT tax, according to the way that Major League Baseball does accounting. But if you're only paying him 25 or 30 million, I'm talking about Otani, in the year of 2024, then you have that much more flexibility within your own payroll to go out and bring in a Jung-Hoo Lee to pair with Shohei Otani and get two marquee acquisitions this offseason. Maybe Matt Chapman is the other guy the Giants signed. Maybe they also have room if they're only paying Otani 20 or 25 million in the first year or two years of this contract. Maybe you go out and you completely revamp this roster this offseason by signing a Chapman, by bringing in a Reese Hoskins on a one-year deal. There are avenues to fortifying the roster where, yes, maybe you're making this huge long-term commitment, $500 million over 13 or 14 years to Shohei Otani, but if your financial commitment in the first few years of the contract isn't as burdensome, then you're able to go out and remake the roster, which is exactly what the Giants need to do with some of that added financial flexibility, some of that cash flow that they will need to have in order to pay some of the free agents that they'll want to sign. So, yes, it's very complicated to do all this baseball math and talk about average annual value and how, yeah, if you're paying Otani 20 or $25 million in the first few years of this deal, maybe that looks different. But I think the Giants would want to get a deal done with Otani to where they're pushing off the average annual salaries he's making. So let's talk about the hypothetical here. You pay him $25 million each for the next two seasons. Then you pay him $50 million for the remainder of the contract. So let's say you get that 14-year, $500 million deal. You pay $25 million over each of the next four years. That's $100 million down, and then there's 10 years remaining to pay $400 million. Then you've got $35 million in each of the next two years. So in years five and six of that contract, you're upping that financial commitment because you're anticipating that you will have more money then, that Otani will have paid off for you, that you'll have made the playoffs a few times, that your cash flow is in a better situation, that the competitive balance tax threshold has gone up. So you're able to stomach $35 million five years down the road compared to $25 million right now. So say you do that for years five and six of the contract. $25 million for the first four years of the deal gets you to $100 million. $35 million over the next two years gets you to $170 million. So then you're looking at paying Otani $41 to $42 million in each of the final eight years of that deal. And we're talking hypothetically about a 14-year $500 million contract. So 
25 for the first four, 35 for the next two. You're almost halfway through that deal. Then you're paying 41 to 42 million down the road. And that's when you're hoping that you have more cash flow. You're hoping that the payroll is in a better situation. You're hoping that you've brought players up from the minor leagues who are cheaper, who can fortify your roster, who you're not paying massive swaths of cash to, to make sure that you're a competitive baseball team. There's so much that goes into these contract negotiations. And look, I already said it. Otani is going to dictate a lot of what happens in these negotiations with the Giants, with the Mariners, with any team that he decides to enter negotiations with or hear contract offers from. I think that he will let teams know if he wants an opt-out. He will let teams know if he wants a no-trade clause. These are not going to be traditional negotiations where there's a whole lot of back and forth. I think if Otani decides he wants to play for you, you just essentially have to cave in because he's that important. Signing him is that imperative. And the other thing that I think is really interesting, now that we've thrown out all the math for Shohei Otani, now that we've gone through the different contract projections, you know, the Kerry Crowley projection, 13 years, 572 million, basically breaks every record. The best projection for the San Francisco Giants, in my opinion, a 14-year, $500 million deal, that spreads out the money in a way that makes it more palatable for ownership, for Greg Johnson, for Farhan Zaidi, to do their jobs to fortify the roster and still appease Otani with two ends of a record-breaking contract. No, he's not setting the average annual value record, but he would be setting the year's record at 14, and he would be setting the total contract sum value record at 500 million. So now that we've got all the math out of the way, let's talk about something that's also really important when it comes to Shohei Otani. And let me be clear, I don't think that the Giants are going to sign Shohei Otani. said that at the outset of this episode. I'll say it again. Let me make another thing clear. I don't know that signing Shohei Otani for 2024 automatically turns the Giants into a playoff club. We're talking about a 79-win team that is more than just a strong left-handed designated hitter away. And that's what Otani is going to be coming off Tommy John surgery. He won't pitch. And he's coming off a major surgery, so you don't know what he's going to look like when he does pitch come 2025. And you don't know what he's going to look like at the plate coming off this Tommy John surgery. So I think that it would put the Giants in a really interesting position because obviously you've got to find a trade partner for Michael Conforto. He's projected right now after opting in as your left-handed designated hitter. And yeah, you sign Shohei Otani. Sorry, Conforto. You're being sold for pennies on the dollar. You're going elsewhere. The New York Yankees are a lovely fit for you. Giants will take just about anyone back to get that contract off the books. Hey, maybe they'll even pay down some of that contract, knowing the Yankees are in need of left-handed hitters, knowing the Giants could use another prospect. So good luck. That's what happens if the Giants sign Shohei Otani. I also think that, you know, the Giants aren't the only team who are going to be in the Otani sweepstakes that are more than just a player away. Like outside of the Dodgers, who have Mookie Betts, who have Freddie Freeman, are any of the teams that Otani is going to seriously look at, like fully expected to contend in the year 2024? I think the Mariners might be more than a player away. The Cubs, probably more than a player away. The Red Sox, probably more than a player away. The Mets, definitely more than a player away. And so you know, Jim Bowden of The Athletic put out an article the other day saying his surprise team for Otani would be the Texas Rangers. The Rangers are obviously less than a player away. The, the Rangers just won the World Series. They've got Bruce Bochy managing the team. The Rangers are the one team Otani could go to and say, we're going to contend right from the start. But I think that what Otani coming to San Francisco would do, much like it would do for all of those other franchises who are more than a player away and need other acquisitions to fortify their roster— it makes the team much more exciting right off the bat. You sell season tickets. It gets people out to the ballpark and allows the Giants 
you know, assuming from a marketing perspective, they're selling more tickets, they're making more money, there's more people interested in partnerships, more businesses inter interested in partnerships. Ultimately, the Giants are drawing more revenue off Botani. I think it enables them to spend more in 2025 because when you talk about breaking even, if you're able to get that type of contract where you're only paying Otani 20 or $25 million next season, then you're talking about a situation where the Giants gain all these partnerships from the outside, the business pays for itself, and you're setting yourself up for success come 2025. So I think you almost have to look at Otani as more of a long-term play than you do with the players that I discussed the other day in the most recent edition of the Kerry Crowley Show, where I talked about signing both Yoshinobu Yamamoto and Jung-Hoo Lee, bringing those players onto the Giants, and then making trades You know, through giving away Joey Bart, Elliot Ramos, maybe a Mikey Stremski or an Austin Slater, Lamont Wade Jr., or Joey Bart. You go through the roster, there are players who could be traded, but the bottom line is, I think that if they sign Otani, they're looking more about 2025 and beyond than they actually are about 2024 because you're talking about only a left-handed designated hitter. And yeah, he's an MVP caliber designated hitter. But again, I think the Giants are more than just one bat away. And so I think it's more of a long-term play than what the Giants would be doing if they went with their other path this offseason, which is pursuing free agents and trades that would immediately turn them into a contender in 2024. Yes, they would be a lot more interesting, a lot more compelling, and probably a lot better if they just signed Otani. But again, I think it's going to take much more. So let's talk about a little bit beyond 2024. How does this impact the 2025 San Francisco Giants? As an organization, we know that they will be significantly better off in the long term for signing Shohei Otani. Like every organization that could possibly bring in the unicorn, maybe other than the Oakland A's, will have a much more optimistic future with Otani in the fold than if he wasn't in the fold. And so I think that, you know, you get all the marketing, you get all the merchandise sales, and oh yeah, you've also got a two-time MVP, or he's about to be a two-time MVP in the building. Building your 2025 roster becomes that much easier because Players around the league are going to want to come play with him. You're going to have better situation financially because of the deals that you've done, because of the marketing efforts, because of all that Otani means to Major League Baseball. It should be easier to attract players. And look, Otani's contract on its own is not going to be the biggest burden to acquiring other free agent talent. Like even when Otani wasn't making money, the Angels still paid. Mike Trout, an outrageous sum. They still paid Anthony Rendon $230-plus and that contract has turned out to be one of the worst in baseball history so far. You can still sign massive deals around Otani. Maybe it's just one massive deal, but you can still bring in other free agents. The point is, come 2025, I think the Giants will be in a better position financially from a flexibility standpoint to do that. And so it's all about signing the right contracts. It's all about finding the right players, but the bottom line is, I think that they can be creative with Otani when he ultimately does come back to pitch. So you're talking about someone who may want to be a front end of the rotation starter after his second Tommy John surgery, but maybe pitching every sixth day isn't all that realistic for Otani. Maybe throwing 100 pitches at 100 miles an hour isn't what he's able to do. Maybe you're talking about someone who's a bullpen arm every fourth day who you know you can go to for two innings. Maybe he's a closer. Maybe he's someone you can go to as an alternate closer outside of Camilo Doval. When Doval needs a rest, you look at Otani and you say, hey, we need you to take down 15 to 20 pitches every third day. 
I think Otani would be willing to do that. You need to be creative with the way that you're thinking about him in 2025 and beyond. Once he is able to throw the baseball again, and once he is able to regain his velocity and control, assuming that's the case, and assuming that he isn't the same pitcher quite as he was before, I think the Giants can think creatively about how they want to deploy Shohei Otani and what they can do to realistically make this the best possible fit for the organization. So let's talk about this one more time. The record-setting contract in Major League Baseball right now from a financial sum point is Mike Trout. 12 years, $426.5 million. He signed that extension with the Angels. The record average annual value contract is Max Scherzer. Three years, $130 million. That's $43.3 million. Otani, to me, at 14 years, $500 million is the best case scenario for the San Francisco Giants. Realistically, I think he could ask for 13 for 572, break a whole bunch of records. But if you're looking for a record breaker, if you're looking for one that appeases both sides and make, makes things as easy on the Giants as it could possibly be while bringing in the highest paid play, payer in the history of the sport, or the guy who will soon be the highest paid player in the history of the sport, the sweet spot is 14 for $500 million. That's what I think it will take to get this deal done. And again, we've talked a lot this week on the Kerry Crowley Show about record-setting contracts, about dream scenarios for the San Francisco Giants this offseason. Who knows? The Giants might miss out on Otani and Yamamoto and Jung-Hoo Lee. But the bottom line is, Farhan Zaidi said this on MLB Network from the general manager meetings the other day, and it was important to hear it from him. It was important for him to say, the Giants have missed the playoffs the last two seasons, and to us, that's unacceptable. The Giants view their current state of affairs as unacceptable. They've already done what they could this offseason to go get a better manager in Bob Melvin. Now it's on Farhan Zaidi, it's on Greg Johnson for opening up the pocketbook to go out and get better players to equip their manager with the opportunity to win in 2024. Because anything that resembles the 2022 and 2023 seasons is simply unacceptable for Giants baseball. So the pursuit of Otani begins, the pursuit of Yamamoto, Jung-Hoo Lee, and the pursuit of better players is underway. What will it take to bring Otani to San Francisco? Ultimately, we'll find out. This is the Kerry Crowley Show. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, comment. I'll do what I can to get back to you, but I appreciate you for tuning in for today's episode.